0: Luke chapter 15, from 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill. Kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went and pleaded with him But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
1: Hmm. Thank you. You can keep that, mate. Thank you very much, Mark, for uh, sharing that story with us. That is the paradox of life today that we see right now. This story of a victorious story of a a father and a son who returns. And it's it's, it's a positive outcome. The heart of God seen in this parable that Jesus tells is one of three, in fact. But it sits in the midst of yours and my life as we hear stories of tragedy and we experience challenge. And we say, how do these two work alongside each other? How does this happen. I want to pray that God would just reveal himself to us today in this text. The heart of God is for his people and that he would show you his goodness. That's what he wants to do. That's who he's about. Sometimes that's hard to see. Some of you live in that space right now. So let's just ask God to speak into that. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the truth that it contains. Jesus didn't tell this story to make life difficult or to show people how much they'd missed out, but to identify the heart of the Father, to tell a story that we all have access to. And so as we sit in whatever posture and challenge we face right at the moment, that I ask that you would, through your spirit and as we open the word together now, that you would just reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So verses 11 and 12 get us underway in this passage, even before we get to that. Hey, yeah, back up, back up. I want, to, I want to share with you one of my favourite places on planet Earth in Australia. It's a place called the Flinders Ranges. Have you ever been there? No? Fantastic. Well, let me tell you about it. Flinders Ranges is north of Adelaide, uh, and it's a rock formation, amazing gorges and uh, you know, walking tracks, all that kind of stuff. And if you're coming from the south, from Adelaide, you, depending on which way you go, you'll go through a town called Borough, which is an historic town. Just out of Borough is this house here, this uh, sort of abandoned old South Australian farmhouse. It sits on this plateau, uh, high on a hill, by some sloping land, so it's not really a plateau. Um, I'll work out what a plateau is before tonight, but it's a hill. And you're, but it's just a barren space and they grow wheat out of this area. You can see uh, just the, the the beauty and the remoteness of this countryside here. Uh, it was made famous in the 80s, this um, house, because it was on the cover of a, a Midnight Oil album uh, that went, uh, you know, record this, that and the other. and so. You can see the different seasons in this picture as the uh, animals are grazing, there's, a, there's a, a, a tilling the soil season where it looks dry and barren and that just expanse of that outback South Australia sort of picture. And we saw the greenery before that was just amazing after the crops are starting to grow. You see some pictures coming up of uh, this place when a storm is rolling in. They get heavy torrential rain. And the different environment, the climate as it shifts. And there's a shot here of this beautiful uh, country property at night time as well. There's another one of a storm. And there's a great shot of this place taken at night with the stars out. This vast array of stars behind it. You know, when I think about the story of the prodigal son, which we're going to unpack for a moment, this is the house I imagine. This is the picture that's in my mind. Uh, it may not have looked like this, it may have been a bigger property, might have had a veranda uh, and all sorts of other stuff, uh, probably was larger, but this is, this is the picture I've got as we walk through this story of the prodigal son. Verses 11 and 12, a father has two sons, he has an estate and we know from further on in the story that it's a large estate and he has multiple servants that serve and are employed to manage various aspects of their property. Uh, they probably have crops and they all certainly have animals that they're running. The youngest son, in due course, upon his father's passing, if there are only two brothers, would inherit a third of this estate... The eldest gets a double portion and the youngest, all the way down, receive a single portion. Because there's only three of them, he would have received a third of the estate upon his father's passing. But he makes the choice to say to his father, I want my portion now. I want my inheritance now. This is not a normal process, it would be offensive to the father. In effect what the son is saying is, I want the benefits of the relationship with you now and I want to move the relationship aside. In fact, what I'm suggesting is that I wish you were dead, I can have the money now is the mindset that is taking place here. Between verses 12 and 13, 13 is the next verse, that's 11 and 12, something is playing out. Here's what's happening in between those two verses. The Father, in his grace and love for his Son, allows him, no, enables him to activate the goodness of the benefits of the Father. The blessings of the Father before his time is due. But in doing so, he allows his son to damage that relationship. He could have said, no, I'm not giving you your share of the estate. And if you bring it up again, I'll take you down for a little talking to. Or how dare you say that to me? Who do you think you are? But the father doesn't do that. In his grace and his love for his son, he allows this to take place. Verse 13 to 17 tell us the picture of what happens after that. The son squanders the wealth on wild living. Momentary relationships that won't stand the test of time. And because he has damaged the relationship in the asking for this funding... He has to go away to spend it, to far off lands. Finally, he finds himself friendless and penniless, carrying a mindset that says, I've burnt the bridges of my history. Jesus, when he tells this story, goes into no detail about what the son got up to in his faraway lands, apart from the fact that he squandered the money and there was no help for him. The details of what he did are neither here nor there, really. When you and I reject the relationship or resist the relationship with the father, how you do it might be different to how I do it. And what you go and invest yourself into, whether it's local or away is neither here nor there. The rejection of the Father is the key component there. The time frame is not even the issue. Verse 17 to the first half of verse 20 give us great insight. The Son comes to his senses, the passage says in Luke chapter 15. What that means is that he started thinking in his right mind. He started thinking logically and making good decisions. He realises that he's far from home and far from happy. He's damaged the relationship with his father irrevocably, he thinks. But he knows that even his father's servants have life better than what he has at, at the moment. So he decides to swallow his pride and return to his father's house. He lays out a speech hoping that he may return not as a son with all of the privileges that come with that but as one who is seen as a hired hand working to pay the bills. He's given up the privileges of the relationship. Working against him in this process is the cultural law and the expectations of the disappointments that would exist in the community. But there's a faint hope in the goodness of his father. He sets an exceedingly low bar for reconnection around this relationship. And he hopes that he won't be disappointed in that. His hope is that just by serving, feeding the animals, ploughing the fields, like a hired hand, he might be able to be welcomed back into the environment. Relationships are fragile, right? Because people are fragile. You and I are sensitive beings. Doing damage in relationships, husband and wife, father and son, mother and daughter, it's easy to do. Words and actions can lead to untold hurt in the context of relationship. You and I know people, friends maybe, that have decades-old hurt in their relationships, just sitting below the surface. Pains that have stopped families meeting together, talking, or coming together face-to-face for years now sometimes over really insignificant and petty things. It's not uncommon at all. And as you sit here today, maybe that's your story. Maybe you're in a relationship that is damaged and has, has had disconnection for quite some time. That pain over time begins to reshape us as people. The joy left long ago and much of life now revolves around the hurts of broken relationship as jesus speaks into this kind of situation in this story it would have resonated with those that were listening jesus is teaching people in the context of this conversation There are people probably sitting around him, standing just at a a short distance away and they're absorbing this story of the lost son that comes directly after the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. They all have a similar flow. And over the road, at a distance, the religious leaders of the communities, the Pharisees, stand at a distance, not to absorb the story but to assess the content, decide whether this fits their agenda and lines up with how they see God. As Jesus is telling this story, it would be hitting people right where they're at as they're sitting there listening. Uh, Maybe the way the story hits you where you're at now, you think about your own journey and you think about relationships and damage that have taken place in the past. then Jesus gets here to this part, the second half of verse 20, the surprising part. Verse 20, the second half says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. There's a bunch of inferences here that we see in this passage. He sees his son while he's still a long way off. The inference is, remembering that picture of that homestead at Borough. The father is standing at the front door looking. Maybe he is at the front gate, at the end of the drive, watching. He does that in the morning. He does that at night. He does that after a meal. He's looking, always looking, hoping, waiting, praying. When he sees his son from a long way off, something shifts in his heart. From hope and prayer and anticipation, possibility, And wrestle, dreaming of that day, his heart shifts from that to excitement, to abandonment. It's here. The prayer is answered. He's alive. He's okay. Compassion shifts in his heart. Hundreds, if not thousands, of prayers have been answered as that figure comes up over the hill. In this moment, all at once, there is no other priority. This is number one. Dismissing every other chore and task and etiquette, he runs to his son. His heart has changed from waiting and questioning to energy and to compassion. The speech starts but probably doesn't get finished. The best family robe comes out. The ring goes on his finger carrying the family name. The sandals go on his feet. And out is led the family fattened calf for its last look at the son. But why compassion? Why is the heart of the father moved to compassion? Why is it not judgment? Why is it not disappointment? Why is it not mixed with frustration? Why doesn't he launch with an I told you so or I knew this would happen? Matthew 9 says this as Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's moving around from town to town, teaching people as he goes, going into the synagogues, the church environment, teaching God's word and talking about the gospel. As he continually sees these people and engages with them, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is the heart of the shepherd. It's the heart of God. You and I will face challenges. Jesus promised it. You will have trouble in this world. But his heart... Is geared towards you for that of compassion and care. To relinquish the youngest son into his own decisions and consequences. And then the father's heart is to do everything possible to not allow that relationship to be lost. The father prays and prays and prays the heart of compassion. The father's heart in this story is the same heart as the heart of God. Then we get to verse 22 to 24. The fattened calf has a new purpose now. We're celebrating This is a good day. The son of mine, this son of mine was lost and now is found. Like the first two stories, the the story, the aspect of generosity and party is a part of the journey. When Jesus tells the first story, just a few verses, about the lost sheep, 99 sheep, 100 sheep has this Uh, Shepherd, and one is missing. So he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He finds that sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it back. And he gathers all the people around, the other shepherds, the neighbours, etc. And they have a party because the sheep that was lost is now found. Then Jesus applies that and says, his application of that is, hey, in heaven... Angels rejoice. This is a story about sheep, but his application is about salvation. The angels rejoice when one of these people, the ones I love, is lost but comes back. And all of heaven rejoices. Then he tells another story about a coin. Three verses. woman can't find the coin. She sweeps, looks high and low, and then finds the coin. And she celebrates, she gathers everybody. Come in, come in, neighbours, I found the coin. Same application. All of the angels in heaven rejoice when one of my children is lost but comes back. All of heaven rejoices. Jesus doesn't give that same application, but it's implied in the text. And we see it unpack in a different way. The fattened calf is killed. People come from everywhere to celebrate. This is good news. The son that was lost, he's alive. The heart of God was to release that child into their own choices and, and decisions and to pray them back into connection. Romans 8, verses 31 to 32. Not sure if this will... Yeah, I am sure now. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The heart of God is not just about the heart of compassion, it's about the heart of generosity. Everything that God has, he wants you to have. But you live in a challenging season, a challenging time. Life now is hard. You will have trouble. And so generosity is not about a garage full of Ferraris when you get home. It's not the way a five-year-old responds when they're in the confectionery aisle. It's not about that kind of generosity. The generosity is about God saying, I'm giving you all that I have. Who I am is with you. There's a time coming when you will reach my presence, the presence of God, heaven, and all of the challenges will disappear. But in this moment, don't treat it as if it's about your immediate wants and desires compared to the person next to you. It's about the generosity of God saying, all that I am, I give to you. Then we get to the challenge of the older brother. It's in the context of forgiveness, really. Verses 25 to 32, the last seven verses of this story. As the father receives the younger son back, And embraces him even though he doesn't think he can re-enter the family. The father is putting the robe and the ring and the sandals and the celebration befitting of a family member. You're back into the community. You're my son. Psalm 86 verse 5 says this, You, Lord, are are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Forgiveness and reconciliation, restoration of relationship is a key part of the heart of God. Generosity, compassion and forgiveness. This is all evident in this story. In verse 25, the older brother is introduced with his human heart on full display. Good news is in the air and it engulfs the whole family. A party's in full swing to celebrate. But the older brother is unhappy. He's upset. The heart of love displayed in the father has left room for a choice in the life of the younger son. The opportunity to respond and to receive that love. And he's home now and celebration is the focus. God has drawn him back. But there is a bitter, hurt, isolated, seemingly forgotten son we are left to hang with here in this passage. He's on the back porch, (laughs) refusing to go in. I won't have any part of this. He pitches his case, this son of yours, wasting your inheritance on prostitutes. We don't know if that's true. But why not have a story with embellishment while we're at it here out on the back deck? Does he enter the party? Does he engage with the family? Does he embrace his brother? Will he celebrate the return of the son to the family? We don't know. story doesn't tell us. We get a landing point with the sheep. We get a landing point with the the coin. We get a, a landing point with the younger son. But we don't know what happens to the older brother. What does he do? We don't know. His story is left undone, it's not finished yet, it's not written. Maybe like some of us here today, there's a celebration taking place but the pains and the hurts in our journey don't allow us to re-enter the story. And we have a posture unlike the younger brother where we stand on the back porch and say, I'm not prepared to engage I'm too hurt, I'm too bitter I'm too disappointed it's a legitimate question for us all to wrestle with and think about we were away on our staff retreat this week, our ministry staff team we had two nights away um, we had a great time uh, and it was a, a huge blessing uh, Bryce Saville led one of our sessions, a couple of our sessions with us, and he shared this story. Uh, it's an excellent story. He hasn't used it on a Sunday, and he won't now because I'm using it. <laughs> I'll let him know tomorrow. No, no, he knows I'm doing it. It's a good way for us to finish our time together today. The story is about a pastor from Colorado by the name of William Frey. He once volunteered to lead uh, to, uh, sorry, read to a young late teen university student named John who was blind. He would come to the family home once a week and read to this young man 18, 19 years old, um, just to engage with him. One day, Pastor William asked John, "How did you lose your sight?" He was 13 years old. And it was a chemical accident. Mixing some things together and it exploded, got in his eyes and he lost his eyesight. A tragedy, no doubt. How did that make you feel, the pastor asked. Life was over. I felt helpless. I hated God, John responded. For the first six months... I did not leave my room, I did nothing to improve my lot in life, nothing at all. I would eat all my meals in my room alone, only leaving to go to the bathroom. One day my father entered the room and said, John, winter's coming and the storm windows need to be put up on the outside of the house. That's your job for today. I want those hung by the time I get back this evening. He turned around, walked out of the room, and slammed the door. John said, I was so angry. Who does, he think the, who, who does he think I am? I am blind. So angry was John that he actually decided to do it. I felt my way to the garage, I found the storm covers for the windows. I located the necessary tools and found the ladder. All the while muttering under my breath, breath, I'll show them, I'll probably fall off this ladder and then they'll have both a blind and a paralysed son. He went on, he got the windows up and the job was done. It was some time later that he found out that never at any moment Was his father more than four or five feet away from his side? He was right there beside me the whole time, ready to catch me if I fell. As you think about your life, as you think about the goodness of God, displayed for all of us in the person of Jesus in Scripture. I wonder what it would look like for you to know that goodness deep in your heart. That no matter what challenges you faced, what good decisions you made, what bad decisions you made, that the goodness of God meant that he was right there, present, quietly, right beside you maybe without you even seeing or fully understanding his presence. He was just there ready to catch you. The posture of the father, whether it's ploughing season, whether the harvest is growing, whether the storm is rolling in or it's the middle of night. The heart of God is to look out for you, for you to return to him. And him be present with a heart full of compassion, standing on the veranda, or at the, the gate, the end of the drive, or at the bottom of the ladder, as you just seek to deliver life's tasks with your limited vision and understanding. He's just waiting there to catch you. I wonder if you truly knew that, what that would change in the way you lived. I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask Caden and the team to come up, and I'm going to pray simply that God would reveal to us today the depth of heart that he has for you and I. In your situation, whatever challenge you face at the moment, whether you can see it or whether you think you're in danger or where the tragedy has just struck you, like the McPadden family, that God would show you his heart of goodness in a way that changes the way you live. Let's pray together. Father God, this story is not just a story. It's not just a filler that Jesus would use to paint a picture and entertain a crowd, he's telling a story that reveals your heart, that tells those that were listening, those that were sitting in front of Jesus in the moment, those that were standing across the road, assessing the detail, and those of us that are in the room now, battling with whatever challenges we face. He tells that story to tell you and I about the heart of God full of compassion, celebrating your return to him, throwing a party, a heart that just loves his people and offers forgiveness. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to process and interact with that as you are calling us to do.